And you are very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast as we gear up towards the last round of the BKT United Rugby Championship before the international break. We have Leinster away against the Scarlets on Friday evening, Munster hosting Ulster on Saturday night, and that's followed shortly afterwards at half past seven by Connor two are away to the Ospreys, looking for a second win in a row and a third win of the season. Delighted to be joined by Fiona Hayes, former Ireland international and head coach of Ballancolic. Fiona, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Neil. Thanks for giving me the old head coach title there. I'm delighted with that. Yeah, we said, look, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be a lot more formal about it this season. And Mick Carney is with us as well, second time this season. Thanks a million for rejoining us. Former Leinster, Connacht and Ulster, uh, second row. I always feel like I'm going to just accidentally throw in Munster one of these days. <laughs> when you're out. Mick, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, still back playing with Clontarf. Decent start to the season for you as well. Yeah, it's been a good start. Good start. Uh, you know, DIL is um it's pretty high standard at the moment. So I've uh, I've enjoyed getting the boots back on, running around with the lads. One more season, just one <laughs> more, definitely. Famous last words. But look, uh, we'll get straight into it, guys, because Fiona, as I, I said just before we started as well, I did want to to ask you about there's a there was a report late last night in the mm-hmm. Irish Independent, uh, an exclusive report for them, Rory O'Connor. And the headline, I refuse struggling to convince leading women's players to turn professional. So as we knew. A few months ago, the RFU were going to start introducing professional contracts for their women's 15-a-side players. But I, I think one of the things we, we probably anticipated at the time is is coming to pass as well, that there is a slow uptake, it seems, and what they're able to offer the players. And, you know, it's it's a big sacrifice for the players. So to go into detail on the story, they say some players have been offered one-year deals worth €15,000 a year plus incentives. Others have been offered better contracts on a scale that mirrors those on offer in rival countries. But they say it's understood that of the 18 full-time contracts offered to date, as few as seven have been accepted and the negotiations carried out on an individualised basis. There are also concerns. Players obviously can't afford to base themselves in Dublin with the level of pay on offer. And there's also a lack of clarity, they say, Fiona, in the competition that they'd be playing if they moved home. Because... I think there's a report coming out soon and one of the recommendations is we're going to have two Irish teams competing in a in a Celtic league and there's just a little bit of uncertainty around A, who those teams are, what players will be playing for them and what the format of the competition is, essentially would be as well. So there's there's plenty of plenty of hurdles left to jump before we can really move towards this uh, professionalisation in, in, in women's rugby here at home. Yeah, definitely. And with that um Celtic Cup, that's kind of I, I got wind of that maybe last week that that was a possibility. I'm I'm coaching Munster women at the at the minute and we obviously had our season plan since um September and that's kind of been changed now. There's literally only gonna be three interpro games um in a quick window. Um, starting in January, uh, the first weekend of January, basically second and third weekend, and that's the Interpros done and dusted for the women. So they have changed that format to fit in this Celtic Cup. I think uh, as of now, they've maybe identified about sixty, um, sixty players in the country that they will base the two squads off of, and it's going to be um Irish-based squads. There was talk maybe of maybe from those Interpros, I was thinking maybe the top two teams, maybe Munster, Leinster, Connacht might have gone into those competitions, but it seems to be the IRFU are, are running that and they'll be going with their 60 players and taking that. And in talking in the last few weeks about those contracts, um, I mean, I, I know I certainly, I'm down in Granada here in my kitchen in Cork, I couldn't uh, be living up in Dublin on 15 grand yeah. and finding somewhere to live, so I understand that. There's a lot of people, I suppose, based at home as well, just the way the economy is at the minute, so 
Um, I think they'll probably have to look a bit harder into kind of helping out with accommodation if that's a, an area that's probably, um, I, I reckon, is stopping a lot of people. And then uh, as a coach, as we talked earlier, my Ballancolic team, I'm worried about these players moving up to Dublin. You know, are they going to leave their local clubs? Will they be able to afford to drive up and down to train with their clubs to play in the AIL at the weekend? So there's there's a lot of things out there that players have to think about. And I, I, I presume they've asked the RFU to go back and maybe up the money a little and and they look at that because look people want to be professional but you have to be able to 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 live up there Neil and you have to be able to train and be able to eat correctly and all that takes money as well yeah and Fee as you said there as well obviously the the knock-on effect on the the All-Ireland League as well because it's just as you said like if naturally players are going to be moving up there if they're going to be training out of Abbottstown every single day of the week are they going to be coming back playing with a UL, not just Ballincollig, but a yeah. UL Bowes or someone like that down the country as well? And I, I think we're at a stage with the All Ireland League. It's very Dublin centric as it is at the moment, mm-hmm. where you've the the dominance of like Blackrock and and yeah. Railway at the moment. So, you know, you don't want to you don't want to make that even more dramatic. No, and it's something I've kind of been asking for the last while for the RFU to maybe step in with these players, Neil, and 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 maybe give them a little bit of incentive to to go to other teams to level out that playing field, even if it's only sending two or three down the road. I know it's probably not ideal for those ones that are based up in Dublin, but you've got the likes of Bowes of Lost Enya Breen, who's been massive for them. Um, and and I and I'm watching the league week in week out, and it's same in in the men's AIL as well. I know a lot of guys are moving up to to Dublin, and obviously you don't want to be traveling and up and down the roads but it will really impact I think the, the women's league we'll just see these really strong Dublin based teams and everyone else when they get their players and they get them up to that high standard they're probably going to have to move up to Dublin if they're picked up by Ireland then yeah and, and Mick like obviously if we're talking 15,000 euro a year plus incentives as a professional contract like it's not much in terms of professionalism it, you you would imagine that a lot of these players are going to have to be keeping on day jobs and it's not necessarily going to remove the the problems we had at the end of, you know, during the Six Nations where players were finishing finishing a match on a Saturday or Sunday and they're back in work on a Monday. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, it's it's just not enough. It's just not enough money. Um, like, it's barely enough to cover food, I'd say, for the year. If you're trying to be a full-time professional, food and recovery, like, would be arguably 15,000 euro a year, you know, so to say to these players, we're going to give you a contract and you're going to have to behave professionally, but on a Monday, you're going to be, you're going to be rocking into work uh, is too much in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's I, There's a long way to go on it. Anyway, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about it over the next few months. And I'm sure we're going to be speaking to David Nusifor as well in the next few days. So we'll find out a little bit more about it. Moving on to the games themselves, guys. So Munster and Ulster on Saturday evening is probably the biggest game of the week. Just to to touch back, I suppose, Fiona, on Munster and Leinster on Saturday, it was a 14-point win for Leinster. In reality, it probably should have been more, given they butchered a lot of chances Mm. in the first half. But if we're talking about the Munster performance on its own, you as a Munster person, what, what were your thoughts watching that game? Yeah, you know, I obviously was disappointed with the loss and you would be, but I watched the game in, in the clubhouse in Ballincollig. I watched it um at home again then after. And, you know, I was I was I was delighted with the performance at times. I thought I, I said to you earlier, I thought there was a bit of bite. You know, the coaches like are obviously implementing systems, I- implementing styles of play. They've all kind of come together. But what I felt was lacking sometimes was that little bit of 
fight at the breakdown, those clear outs, the will to get there and, and just kind of want to beat these teams. And I saw that in this performance. I saw a few little largey barges, you know, which we love to see in a local in a local derby. I thought guys Coombs added a lot of physicality. Um, I thought guys put their hand up. Obviously, we know there's there's three Irish games coming up and and those guys have to be playing at a high level, but I thought it, it shone true. Um, I think there was moments of the game. I know there was changes in the scrum, but there was moments of the game where I thought if Munster could have gotten on top, that they might have rattled that Leinster team and could have come away with the win, even with um, you know, even with a losing bonus point. I think there was scrum maybe five meters out, and they they gave away a penalty on that. That was a huge moment in the game for me. I think. Uh, Lockman had switched to tight head, you know, so you can't really fault that. There was a lot of people out of place, but I, I, I really felt like it was an enjoyable game. I thought we saw a lot of good rugby. Leinster probably will be disappointed with their lineout and their handling errors at times, but from a Munster perspective, um, it was definitely, I saw signs of a team definitely building and it was better again than the week before. Yeah, and Mick, we'll talk about Leinster a little bit later on, but from a Munster point of view, as a player, like, is it is it tricky when you're in a situation like that when you're trying to evaluate a game like that where there probably wasn't much expected of you going into a match like that? You were probably expected to lose relatively heavily and, you know, you lose by 14 points. So ultimately, you're not getting anything out of it. You're not getting a losing bonus point. But how do you kind of compartmentalize that and look at the performance and pick out, OK, here are the five or six really good things we did, you know, good intensity at breakdowns, mm. you know, excellent scramble defense, those sort of things, so that your confidence isn't knocked heading on to another big game at the weekend? Well, look, I'd say Munster would have had specific metrics going into that game that wouldn't have been based on the outcome, wouldn't have been based on what the final scoreline was. Um, I read an interview where Graham Browntree asked players to be brave going into the game, you know, and I think particularly in that first half, there was there was a massive, massive amount of bravery um, you know, like the thing about it is being brave probably isn't enough against a team like Leinster to come away with the result. You know, there has to be accuracy around that as well. But you know, as as um Fiona said, I thought I thought the breakdown was excellent. I thought uh Hodnett had a really, really big impact in the game. Um, you know, from a from a set piece point of view, and I know we're gonna get on to that. Um, but I thought Jack O'Donoghue, Thomas Hearn. These guys, Jack O'Donoghue is arguably one of the one of the best defensive line-out forwards in the league behind Peter Romani, you know, and, and Thomas O'Hearn is getting better and better week on week in that department, but it's definitely, definitely a massive strength of his. And, you know, that's that's one of the reasons that Leinster's line-out maybe, maybe struggled a bit more than than it usually does. Um, but to answer your answer your initial question, I'd imagine Munster came out of that game relatively happy in terms of um their KPIs and and what they wanted to achieve in in different areas of the game. Yeah, and it was interesting, Fiona, as well. Like I was I was covering the match for for work, and we were down doing the the post match media stuff afterwards. And Graham Roundtree, like there was there was almost there was almost like a chest out bullishness about the way he was talking afterwards. Like we'd have dealt with them after various matches this season, and even after the Bulls game last week where they'd won, he was. He was very happy, but he was quite restrained about it at the same time. But I really, really thought on Saturday there was there was this like bursting proud energy coming off him with the way he was speaking after the match. And you could see it was it, it was mirroring the way the players had kind of gone about the game. And look, I know we have to keep mentioning 
that they didn't win the match. I, I, I remember we were tweeting afterwards about it and I had a couple of people replying to me saying, yeah. oh, well, Leinster won. What's the big deal? And you're going, well, well, if that's if that's the, the extent of the analysis we're putting into it, like, you know, podcasts are going to be very, very short. Match reports are going to be very, very <laughs> short. There's not really much else we're going to be able to talk about it. But it did feel like there was a, a, a better zip to a, a Munster Leinster rivalry or a Munster Leinster game at the weekend, like a 45,000 crowd, which I think was a lot higher than I think some of us were expecting as well. Like it, there did seem to be a, a nice bit of energy back in it again. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of energy. And I think, Neil, when I saw the, the team sheets coming out and I saw Leinster were almost fully loaded, like they went, you know, they obviously had to get um international's game time, but they were almost like... um like up there with their finishing team in, in the cup competition. So, you know, and Munster obviously had a few injuries and we saw Crowley in at full back, you know, who was, who was excellent. Um, Casey was out, but it was relatively young. They gave Tom Ahern a go in there. And I just, I think as a coach, you'd have, you'd be proud of what these young guys did. Obviously the result, you know, you have to look at that. It's a results business. They didn't get anything out of the game, but when people were questioning their character and can these guys bring aggression? I think they went out there and they did bring that character. They brought the aggression, especially at the Braytown. They really rattled Leinster at times. Um, Obviously, attack-wise, could have been a lot better as well from a Munster point of view at times, but they focused on what they could do. And, you know, Mick talked about those KPIs. And I think they did reach a lot of those goals. I'd say when they got and reviewed the game, that some of the, the stuff they'd set out to themselves, they definitely got to that level. Now they're going to have to up it again this week and I think this Ulster game is obviously going to be a must win for this group but to take that I think they will come away with a, with a little bit of confidence from that game because as I said they were excellent in the breakdown the scrum at times but there was a lot of changes in there we have um, they're, they're, they haven't lost many from that starting team and I hopefully will stick with a lot of the guys going into this Ulster game as well because they're getting a good feel off each other I think and how each other plays yeah, so Ulster this weekend. Before I'll talk about Ulster in a second, but just one last point on on Munster. So they've re-signed John Ryan on a short-term deal, and they've Ali Morris come in, who uh, was of Worcester and was obviously released in the last few weeks as well. But Mick, have have Munster got a little bit lucky with the way these have fallen into place, particularly with John Ryan, because it was something we all spoke about at the start of the season that they had left themselves with a bit of a gulf of experience at tighthead, where you had someone like Stephen Archer who was way out ahead on two hundred and pretty much around 250 appearances for the province. And then guys like Kenyon Knox, Roman Salanoa and James French, who were all very, very inexperienced in professional terms. And so many people said, all it's going to take is one injury for Stephen Archer. And there's going to be a bit of a scramble going on. And if they got very, very lucky that just as that injury for Stephen Archer arrives, John Ryan, who has played 197, 198 times for Munster has become available. Oh, yeah. I think they've gotten unbelievably lucky, you know. And I think a big part of it as well is that John Ryan is obviously from Munster. You know, he wants to play for Munster. Like when he was when he was leaving, I know he was uh, he was pretty disappointed about the fact that that he was leaving Munster to go to Wasps. And, you know, obviously your heart goes out to, to the lads and Wasps in the situation they're in at the moment. But he's been over there cutting his teeth against quality, quality loose heads. So, it's not like they're kind of bringing him out of the out of the cold mm. with no games under his belt to suddenly start against Ulster. I don't know if he is starting now, mind you, but um, they've got very lucky in the sense, in my opinion, of he's from Munster. He wants to play for Munster. He wants to hit that 200 caps, I'd imagine. 
Um, and he's he's a quality player who's been cutting his teeth against really good opposition week in, week out over in the Premiership as well. Yeah, Fiona, I, I just for from a personal point of view for him, it must be a, a wonderful opportunity now because I'd say the fact that he was just two... I, I can't remember, is it 197 or 198 appearances for Munster he has, but he is either two or three short of, of that 200. And I'm sure that was... That was something that probably stung him a little bit when he was leaving in the summer. And now, you know, barring an injury, he's going to get the opportunity to hit that that double century mark. Yeah, he's going to be absolutely delighted. And I even at the time I questioned the business that was done, but look, that it that's exactly what it is. It's business and and you know, you don't know what the ins and outs of clubs are, especially when it comes to finances. But look, he's a wonderful player. He he deserves to get his two hundred caps. He's kind of been doing his business away quietly at Munster. It's been him and himself and Archer battling for years. You know, one season he's getting the nod as most starts, the next season it's Archer. So look, he's gonna fit back in perfectly and hopefully he He'll stay injury free and, and tip over that 200 mark because he deserves it. So on Ulster then, Mick, obviously we don't have an Ulster an Ulster game to, to analyse after the weekend. Was was what happened in South Africa one of the moments where you've gone, thank God I retired this summer? <laughs> Big time. Big time. So he was actually speaking to one of the lads early last week and he said that a few guys were down with a bug. This was kind of last Monday. And then uh, last Wednesday, I was speaking to him again. I said, oh, have you touched base with any of the lads? How are they getting on? And he was like, it's rampant. Yeah. It's absolutely torture the squad. Um, it's interesting. I was listening. I was reading an article about from the CEO of the URC where he came out. And he was saying, you know, we need to figure out whether they brought it with them or whether they got it from being in Durban. You know, but you'd have to think with Ulster and Glasgow. Glasgow hadn't played the Sharks the week before. Uh, all down with the... Uh, with a gastro issue that that it would have to be from something that that they've eaten or drank in Durban, you know. Yeah, it's um, it was absolutely frightening, and and it was strange because there'd been just been so many rumors as well going around. Initially on, uh, initially on Friday when when I was hearing things, it actually sounded initially like it was the Sharks and Lions who were the two teams who were who were down players were the initial reports that we were all seeing. And then it emerged with Ulster and and Glasgow. And then you're trying to, I think everyone's trying to be the kind of the armchair Sherlock Holmes piecing together. <laughs> well, one team was in Johannesburg and Durban <laughs> and crossing over and were they in the same hotels? I think I remember even, I think Martin and I, the, the CEO was saying that that actually stayed in, in separate hotels as well, I think. So it's it's really it's really bizarre trying to figure out what uh, what happened there. But ultimately it is, it has hampered Ulster's preparation enormously because I know they're they're back home now and it, it seems all right, but just logically, there was surely a lot of weight lost, a lot of energy lost, a lot of dehydration over the last week or so. And you probably would be wondering how how physically fit and ready they are going to be make for a game against Munster at the weekend. Oh, big time, big time. Well, look, this is where the nutritionist earns her crust. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we actually had a pretty similar issue in South Africa last year. Uh, we were in Cape Town. We, we had a couple of guys down with sickness as well. Um, so I don't know whether it's, again, not a doctor, obviously. Don't know if it's the, the ice in the drinks or what, what the story is around that. Um, but, but coming into this week, the Ulster lads will be managed. They'll be managed really, really well. Um, I'd be surprised if there was, there might be one high-intensity training session this week in, in preparation for Munster. But um, you know, I think uh, 
they'll definitely be be really well looked after going into this game so that energy levels can be as high as they can, you know. Yeah, and Fiona, it was like it actually just was such a pity that that game couldn't oh, go ahead. And and even now we're wondering, is there I know Martin and I were saying he's unsure if there's space in the calendar to, to fit it in again because we were recording the podcast a day late last week. We were doing it on Thursday, and by that yeah. stage the, the Sharks team had been announced. I know. And it, I think it was announced just before we came on and we were all saying like, oh my, just look <laughs> at the talent that's out there. It was, it just seemed like it was going to be two heavyweights going up against each other. And I think arguably it it potentially could have trumped Munster and Ulster as the game, Munster and Leinster as the game of last weekend. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking that as well. I was thinking, depending on what squads Munster get out in Leinster, that this is definitely going to be the game of the weekend. I mean, they were absolutely stacked with their South Africans. Um guys you know wanted to play at Ulster who are performing really really well and to be fair the Ulster pack has been quite physical as well so I was really looking forward to seeing it but hopefully they will squeeze it in because obviously when it comes to quarterfinals times or semi-finals of DRC you don't know who's going to be playing who but we really need to see this game because I think it will be absolutely cracking. Yeah and on the Ulster Munster game then at the weekend fee it's 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 a tough one to to actually it's a tough one to preview, I think, because it, there's just so much uncertainty over what the teams are going to look like. So uh, Andy Farrell confirmed yesterday, he was asked were obviously all the Ireland A players, that's 12, that those 12 players who are selected the Ireland A squad, they are all available to the provinces. But he said that the, the actual 37-man squad won't be playing with the provinces this weekend. So for Ulster, unless there are some dispensations made, that removes Rob Balakoon, Mike Lowry, Stuart McCloskey, Jacob Stockdale, Rob Herring, Tom O'Toole, Nick Timoney. From Munster, it takes away Carberry, Casey, um, Connor Murray, Calvin Nash, Tyg Byrne, Gavin Coombs, Jeremy Lockman and Peter O'Mahony. Who's who's coming out better or worse from that? Um, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking about that question. I think it's... I think it's pretty even enough, I think, with the guys going. The only thing I will say is that McCluskey and Marshall have really formed a massive partnership in the centre and have been, McCluskey's played nearly every game for Ulster and he's been, you know, the pinnacle of their attack, especially gain line in the backs. And we see, you know, Lowry as well as someone who's been playing a lot of rugby. I think Munster have shuffled around a little bit more and a few other guys have got game time. But I suppose how much has Paddy Patterson or Neil Cronin got in this URC level as well so at nine I think Munster probably will we will see I'd love to see Paddy Patterson getting more game time but to, to be thrown into such a game like this will be huge for them so I think it's kind of balances itself out there's there's big guys the the Ulster pack to be fair to them um, the Rays have been playing really well you've got Vermeulen you know they're well covered in all the areas so um, it's probably their backs you'll be looking at you'll have like Curtis and Moore maybe in centres and we know Marshall James, James, as well. James Hume will be a bit will be available because he was due to return last week he was only in the the a squad so he should be available to play there and mick like you're probably better equipped than anyone to talk about the depth of jobs he's seen in the in the ulster squad last season when you were there yeah i think uh i think monster are definitely losing a little bit more than ulster in my opinion uh particularly from a from a pack point of view and you know just to go through Go through maybe a quick pack like you've Eric O'Sullivan, Rory Sutherland, John Andrew at Hooker, Declan Moore, you know, you've you've Marty Moore at Tidehead, um, you know, you've Al O'Connor, who's you know, kind of spiritual leader up there, along with along with Sam Carter, who's a who's a test international for Australia. And then as as Fiona mentioned, the Rays have been have been playing incredibly well, along with Dwayne, who I, I don't know if, if Dwayne's gonna be in uh South Africa camp or not. I'm not sure what the what the situation is there. 
then as a backup for him, you've you've Dave McCann who had a really good tour uh, in South Africa with the emerging. Um, so purely from a from a pack point of view, um, I think I think they'll they'll edge it there. Um, I didn't realize that that James Hume was was available to play, so I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe Luke Marshall slip into twelve and and James um, go to thirteen. Then you know you look at the look at the nines as Fiona said with with Paddy Patterson and, and Neil Cronin. You're not not a hundred percent sure. I, I thought Paddy Patterson was excellent uh, when he came on the last day. He's obviously he's a quality player. Someone I would have played with in the past in Leinster. He's a gets the ball away really quickly and um, good kicking game as well. They're going to be up against um, John Cooney and uh, Neil Doak. So, you know, they're, they're, there's probably, in my opinion, there's there's maybe a small bit of a, an advantage in the in the key positions in terms of calling second row, hooker, nine. Um, but then... But half, Billy Burns would surely be available as yeah, well for... Exactly. For Billy also. be playing. Yeah, Billy probably be playing 10. Um I think 15, 15 is going to be going to be the really interesting one as to whether they they slip Ethan McRoy back to there and bring Robbie Little onto the wing, um, and someone like someone like Ben Moxham or Aaron Sexton might want to the other wing. Then, um, that's just guessing, I suppose. Um, but it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a really interesting game to watch because Munster obviously have the advantage of of being at home. So, uh, and Ulster have been relatively unsuccessful going to Munster. Uh, in recent years so it's going to be a good game to watch yeah 4.45 our coverage gets underway on RT2 and RT player for that one on Leinster they're taking on the Scarlets Friday evening Mick will they be will they would they be a bit concerned I, I know I, it's tough saying it after a bonus point win but will they be a bit concerned and frustrated over the the way that first half in particular developed against Munster because they blew quite a few chances close to the line held up over the line twice they fluffed their lines on two lineouts in the Munster 22, both crooked throws from, from Dan Sheehan. There were a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes from them. Yeah. They will be annoyed. Sure, they will be frustrated with how uh, how things finished there, as you said, held up twice over the line uh, from the malls. Like, sometimes on the on the mall front, I suppose, uh, it's just where the hooker falls. You know, if you mall for another metre, there's a good chance you're probably you're probably going to score it. Um, but I think, I think going into this week, they'll, they'll have a lot of confidence that they'll, they'll right the wrongs from last week. And as well, a lot of the, a lot of the mistakes, I suppose they made inside 22 credit has to go to Munster for the pressure that, that they put them under. I thought, thought they, they were excellent in terms of how they went about their business defensively against Leinster in that area. Cause they're usually, they're usually so clinical when they get into that space, you know, yeah, like the scramble defense was really, really good for Munster. Um, and Fiona, then like the I suppose the flip side of the conversation is Leinster can look at it and say they're they're six wins out of six. I think is it four out of those six that bonus points picked up in as well. Yeah. And the general consensus would be that they're still nowhere near their best. Yeah, that's it. They they probably haven't, you know, like they're not as accurate as we've seen in seasons past. Um, they're still getting the job done. They're they're getting the changes in. We're still we're seeing guys getting game time. We saw Frawley at, at full back as well at the weekend, you know. So they he's still sticking to his system and how he's going about Leo. To be fair to him, he's getting these guys game time. There's there's definitely a lot of changes that have been in Leinster. So I don't fear for them going into this Scarlets game with with losing the internationals. I think that guys have been getting game time. Um, I watched Scarlets against Connacht. I, I couldn't get over how bad their discipline was. 
Um, it was absolutely shocking, especially in the second half. Some of the errors I saw at, you know, just guys being lazy as well around the pitch. So they've they've already lost to Benetton, they've lost to Cardiff. So I would I know they're going over to Scarlet's Leinster, but I think they will go over and definitely get the, the job done. Obviously, they're not going to be happy with how they played last weekend. They'll review that, but I think you'll probably see 10 to 12 changes as well on in that Leinster team. So we'll give these new guys a chance to get in and I and I suppose go against this uh, Scarlet squad yeah like the attack Mick was was scattered at particularly in that first half but defensively they'll they'll surely be very very pleased with the last couple of weeks because they had that game against the Sharks where it was just a complete shootout and both sides were scoring tries left right and centre and they got pulled apart a little bit too easily a couple of times but then the following week they hold Connacht scoreless and uh, what they conceded one try and and two two scoring penalties last week against Munster but I was watching it at Aviva and some of the some of the reads from Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose in particular were just mm. absolutely unbelievable. You'd monster players who were they were getting that final pass executed, and all of a sudden Gary Ringrose was just swallowing someone up in midfield for a for a five yard for a five yard loss. No, for sure. The connection those lads have in the center is is unbelievable. And you know, Leinster's game is very much built around its defence. You know, the system they've had in place for the last number of years has been, been unbelievably effective. Obviously, that didn't come uh, come out as much against the Sharks, who are, who are a massive team, who historically Leinster have maybe struggled against a small bit, and then they've they've massive speed on the edge. But I watched the, the Connacht Scarlet's game for my sins as well uh, last week, and I don't think... Um, Leinster will be too concerned in terms of what what the Scarlets are going to offer um, from an attack point of view. And, you know, as well as that, the Scarlets, like, they've uh, Fafita and Lousy banned for four weeks each. You know, they're not going to be playing this game. And then they've they've 16 players on the injury list, mm-hmm. you know. And then they've seven players away with Wales. So what they're actually able, going to be able to put on the field is going to be really interesting. They brought Dan Thomas back from Bristol uh, on a, I think a three-week loan, he was a penalty machine against Connacht. He, he was fascinating against Connacht, actually. And I, we could probably move on to that Connacht Scarlets match now as well, because I thought, particularly in the first half, I was like, this this guy, this guy has been central to everything, both good and bad. About the <laughs> yeah, he pulled off two or three brilliant turnovers. Turnovers. In the but when he got his yellow card, I think with about four or five minutes to go in the game, I was like, this is about the seventh or eighth penalty the man's conceded. This is incredible stuff. <laughs> no, big time. Big time. Like it was, as you said, it was it was so interesting to watch. I think like watching the game, uh, obviously uh, Scarlett's had the wind in the first half, you know, so I was thinking to myself, like obviously try and, try and pin Connick back and, and kick the leather off it. Um, sorry, they were playing into the wind in the first half. Uh, Connacht came out. Uh, you know they had a they had a somewhat decent start. I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have said it was great. Um, was that a was that a try? No. Nal Murray's one. No, don't think so. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know I how don't that didn't so. get looked a bit by the TMO. Yeah, yeah, he's some man for a charge down though. You know, yeah. two two weeks in a row now he's been yeah. a real charge down threat. I could say. Kieran Hardy's having nightmares about him at the moment, and um, obviously the conditions had a part to play in it. But uh, like the, the the level of support he was getting from his forwards, from a side boat point of view, that rook probably wasn't exactly where it needed to be. But then, you know, fair play to Niall, Niall Murray for getting on his foot and putting him under massive pressure in that first half. And um, but I I kind of thought going into the second half, 
Um, Scarlett's are going to play it a little bit better from a kick pressure point of view. Um, because Connacht, you know, in that first half, it looked like when they came <laughs> any kind of pressure, they were just kind of kicking it down the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, Johnny McNichol obviously punished them on one occasion. Yeah, that was, was good. A, that was a bit of an outlier, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, but it was. It was really good. On fee, like it just you know. Kind of like they just got a grip of the game and saw things out properly. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was 16-11 at halftime. You would have thought Connacht should have been up uh, by a lot more. Um, I thought, I, exactly, I thought Scarlett's game plan would have changed for the second half. It didn't. It just looked like they were tiring a bit more. Um, Connacht actually played better rugby. I think at times they were they were definitely far more accurate in the second half. Um, and they're, they scored some nice tries. Um, but, you know, I think, I, I, I just don't think Scarlett's, I offered a threat at any time. I think Connacht kind of knew they were on top. They knew it was going to come. The tries were going to come, and I suppose the crowd got behind them. And at home, you always you always have a you you always play a, a confident Connacht team, and we saw that. So I think they are another team that are are building. Obviously, they'll go back and look at that. They're trying to get their their two wins in a row. I think um going into this next game, and I I definitely think you know they I think it was Pete Wilkins that was talking about maybe you know that that's a you know when they play teams depleted it's not always a great team for that for Connacht but look I think they're they're definitely building they've definitely got a a a lot more depth um they're not losing as many players Jack Carty and stuff will still be there so I I think they will be kind of they're going to be a team that we'll see building on again next week yeah and they'd be plenty of high profile signings over the summer and four of them from Leinster but I think probably the the one that was less heralded was David Hawkshaw and he seems to fit it in really really well there at first centre uh, just outside Jack Carty and obviously it just gives them an extra good kicking option he's a brilliant kicker and he's a comfortable out half on his day as well yeah it's really well and I think he's playing he's really connecting with Ralston really well I mean you know they have you have Farrell and Daly that have been in there in the past but I think that kind of that second uh, playmaker at 12 as well is is working for him and having that boot and um, he's a player you know I, I personally was looking at Dooley coming in I was excited about that but he's been he's been playing each game I, I thought he was very very good against Leinster he was good against Munster and he was excellent against uh, again last week against the Scarlets he's kind of just in doing his job he's defensively there but he's he seems to be building connections as well with the back three which because we know they're absolutely electric yeah and, and Mick like is there last point on Connacht like has there been a bit of a whack-a-mole going on with them this season where the defensively at the start of the season they were all over the place and they seem to have shored that up over the last month or so but they're probably just missing a little bit of killer instinct and attack that they that they would have had last season no, for sure. I completely agree with that. Like looking at the, the Leinster game as a key example, I know I spoke earlier about kind of Leinster building their game around their defence, but you know, how, how many entries did Connacht have into their 22 and come away with nothing? You know, so it was a massive work on for them going into the Scarlet's game and, and they were pretty they were pretty effective in that sense. But um, I think if they can keep building week on week in terms of... Uh, getting good outcomes defensively from a scoreline point of view. And then when they do get those entries from an attack sense, they're, they're actually getting rewards from it. Um, going back to Fiona's point around, around Hawkshaw, um, you know, he's, he seems to be unbelievably confident stepping into first receiver, you know, which means Jack Carthy can obviously go one space out then at the back of a forward shape. Um, pretty similar to how I felt uh, Jack Crowley and, and Joey Carberry, mm. uh, 
teamed up in that Munster Leinster game. You know, I think yeah. it was really refreshing seeing seeing Crowley um stepping in stepping into first receiver and taking a bit of pressure off Joey and giving him the opportunity to to roam a bit more, you know. Yeah, so that kind of game is on Saturday evening away to the Ospreys and just crucial for them because I think a, a three and four record after seven games looks a lot different than two and five will. Um but guys, we'll finish up with a few minutes on Ireland because they've been in camp over the last couple of days. It was nice to be back out in Abbottstown yesterday doing the the real in-person chats and media sessions with the, the players and management uh, for the first time in a long time. But a positive injury update, like it seems pretty much everyone is, all things going to plan, going to be on course to to be available for selection against South Africa. The big question though, uh, Fiona, and it's one... Andy Farrell said, you know, needs must. It's going something they'll they'll have to do if if necessary. But you look at Jameson Gibson Park, Hugo Keenan haven't played yet this season. Tyg Furlong has played one match. I, I think if we're talking about Tyg Furlong, it's a it's a no-brainer. He's playing against South Africa if he's available. But for someone like Keenan and, and Jameson Gibson Park, who haven't been on the pitch at all this season, but it seems they are going to be on course and available for selection against South Africa. Would you be a little bit concerned about throwing them in against the Springboks for a first game of the season? I don't think so. I think they're going to be training at high intensity, you know, depending on how they're doing. Obviously, if they're if they're still carrying Ningles, I wouldn't be throwing them into a game like this. There's no need for it. You can get them into that Fiji game or the Australian game. But I think, you know, South Africa at home, first of this tour, less than a year out of World Cup, these guys want to be playing these games. That's what they're probably building to get back for. I know they'd obviously love to have gotten back to for Leinster games, but I'd have, I'd have no issues as long as they're training well, though. You know, you have to be looking at like we know what South Africa do we know like they, they like to kick the ball a lot as well and they're going to be if they think that Keenan ha- isn't game or, or match fitness they're going to be kicking it down his throat so obviously having worked a lot with him around that area and see how comfortable he is in those situations in training and Gibson Park seeing if, if he's the same I think it would be easier for someone like Gibson Park to to get in there maybe um because he's just so seasoned he's he's been in and out of that Leinster team and every time he comes in he's always had really really good performances Keenan is still a young guy so he might want to protect him a little bit more for this game and maybe and maybe push him out for the last two games but I do I think if he picks them I I, I think Farrell knows they're marked ready and and this is potentially one of the the biggest games leading up to that World Cup seeing as we have him in our pool as well yeah like on that point Mick like is there there going to be a bit of shadow boxing going on or is is a year out enough time that teams are just going to be going full-blooded at us I think a year is long enough yeah, I think a year is long enough for them to go gung-ho. And, you know, the flip side of that is, like, have South Africa changed the way they played in the last four or five years under the coaching team that they've had? You know, Razzy Rasmus is still still heavily involved. They still play that that pressure rugby. You know, what I mean by that is that they're strong around set piece. They put you under massive pressure in terms of that kick battle. They play territory rugby. And then they've they've massive massive breakdown threats as well. Um, so I don't think they're gonna go away from the essence of their style of play. But I, you know, whether they leave out a move or two that they plan on doing against against Ireland, is it's yet to be seen. But um, I think they're still gonna like play the way they always play, which is you know, massive physical physicality, uh, huge pressure both sides of the ball, and um. It's going to be a seriously physical battle, I'd say, as always against any South African team. Yeah, it really is. And I thought it was interesting as well, like Andy Farrell was obviously asked about 
being number one in the world and mm-hmm. how last time around that didn't you know particularly age too well and in fairness any time he's been asked in the last probably 12 18 months about things like the world cup or the peaking too soon question that always gets gets brought up by us as well but he obviously said like you know i don't mind being number one we need to embrace it use it as a weapon I don't want to be number two. Like, you know, have we been too quick in the past to kind of play down? Oh, well, the rankings don't necessarily mean too much when maybe in actuality you need to be a little bit more bullish about it and stick the chest out and say, we're number one. We want to be number one. That's that's the point of why we're here. You know, embrace the pressure rather than probably try to, to push it away and hide from it. Yeah, I suppose Andy Farrell hasn't been part of it where we've all embraced that and been <laughs> well, like going into World Cup where we're delighted. Part of the last World Cup cycle where it didn't work <laughs> uh, out too well. So maybe lessons have been learned in that regard. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, you do have to embrace this. I mean, rugby's constantly changing Ireland's performances. We haven't seen anything you know, terrible, any massive dip in form in the last few years. Players are getting better and better every time I, I watch these games. So I think, yeah, embrace it. There's no there's no pressure. I think you just have to take the pressure off the players by even saying that. Just embrace it. Go out there and play the game. Yeah, definitely. I'd I'd agree with that as well. Um, I think there's a touch of Irishism uh, is the word I'm going to use. And saying, <laughs> you know, someone gives you a compliment or you, you get to a certain point and say, geez, you're number one. And it's almost an Irish people's DNA. It's, yeah, no, 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 geez, we're, we're not number one. That's we're terrible. Right. We're rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that, that's not us. That's not us. Instead of, you know, saying, yeah, we are number one. You know, we're here for a reason because we're the best. Try and, try and beat us. Let's see. Let's see what you have. Um, I think that's, that's really important. It it's, could be a mind, mindset shift for the squad going into, going into the next uh, 12 months. But um, there does need to be does need to be a certain level of uh, arrogance is the wrong word, but, you know, supreme confidence around what Ireland have done to get to this point. Uh, because the teams that get the semis and get the finals, they they have that. Yeah, I mean, South Africa certainly have that bullishness about them, Fiona. Oh, yeah, they definitely have that bullishness, that arrogance, um, and we love what... The, and look, we're not saying arrogance is a... No, as, it's not a bad thing. Like the, the good kind of arrogance that yeah. kind of... It's their it's their way, you know. They yeah. they they back everything they do. We see it on the pitch, you know. They're they believe in themselves. I suppose arrogance is belief in yourself as well, and they certainly do that. And I think Razi has has added a bit of a sparkle to that as well with his media duties. So you know, they used to be quite boring to watch. Now I even love watching Razi, given his uh, interviews before and after the game. So look, they go about their business. They're exceptionally physical. What South Africa use is what they're good at, and and they'll bring that. They don't really change or move away from that but it, it can be very hard to deal with I think at times yeah so that's a little teaser of Ireland South Africa we'll probably be going full bore on it this time next week on the RT Rugby Podcast Fiona Hayes Mick Carney thanks a million for joining us as always cheers thanks Neil thanks Neil thanks for having me and uh, we'll see you all again next week thanks a million bye